Uh, some of you know over this summer, um, my wife Rebecca and I and our family took a sabbatical. We took uh, some, some time away, as is the rhythm of our, uh, our leadership here. Every uh, five years, we take a time away and recharge spiritually, relationally, and it was an incredible time away. And uh, our practice was not only build memories as a family, get alone time with the Lord, kind of undistracted alone time with God, uh, and we were able to do both of those things. But one of the things that I also try to do is I try to pursue health in other areas as well. So physical health, I try to, to take that time when I'm not busy and stressed and running around to eat better and um, exercise um, a little bit throughout the summer. And I did, was able to do that. And I realized as I was exercising, I, I decided not to go to the gym. I mainly just kind of put a mat in the garage and would just go, you know, just do the basics, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, you know, nothing fancy. Um, if I do something fancy, I'll be in the hospital. So just, you know, keep it basic. And as I started that journey over the summer, I realized I should not be doing this without supervision, okay? Like, I, I, I should not be doing this. And there were some indicators along the way, and they were primarily through my children. The first was, when I would go out into the garage, um, all three kids would come out, and they would be in the morning, they'd come out in their pajamas, okay? And they would just watch, and they were like, what is this new thing that you are doing? exercise is it? Is that what you call it? And I'm like, okay, this is like a phenomenon to them, which tells them I don't do this very often, okay? So they're watching me, and there was this one um, particular day when um, I was doing like legs and abs, which is just torture, okay? It's no fun at all. And I think I was doing lunges, okay, at one point, and uh, Nehemiah is like, I'm like right in the middle, and when it's like I'm feeling like the pain and agony, and Nehemiah's like, hey, dad, like mid-rep, what's that clicking sound? <laughs> it's my knee, son, okay? I'm old, all right? What do you want from me, okay? And I thought that was the bad part, but the worst part came, I'm towards the end of my workout, you know, and I'm doing sit-ups, okay? And you know that point in your sit-ups when you're doing that last rep, okay? Everything burns, you know? You're like, I can do one more, you're about to vomit, okay? And I'm like, I'm doing this sit-up, and like, I'm like, that last one, and Nehemiah says to me, he's like, Dad, do you feel like you're gonna die right now? Like, <laughs> yes, I do, I do and I'm about to kill you as well, okay? <laughs> Take you with me. But there was one part, this just happens a couple weeks later, my, our youngest, Hope, she's three, and uh, she came out with me, it was just her, she's in her pajamas still, her hair's all askew, okay? And, um, and I'm there doing whatever I'm trying to do, I probably shouldn't be doing, and um, she takes her passy out, and she gets on the ground, like face down, like a face on the ground, and she starts flopping her arms and her legs. And I'm like, sweetheart, what are you doing? And she's like, my exercises, like this. I'm like, that's what she's seeing me doing. That's what I look like, okay? She's doing her exercises, and then she says, but this one's too hard for you, okay? Like, I can't even do that one. You are right, okay? 
So I realized, all right, I'm doing my exercises. I was trying to get in shape a little bit. I'm becoming very aware that I'm probably going to injure myself, like things are hurting that I don't think are supposed to be hurting after I work out and I need to talk to a professional because what the first thing I did was I go online. I'm like, okay, like I'm just doing push-ups. Why is my ear hurting? That doesn't sound like that should fit, okay? And so like I'm looking online and then this random dude is saying one thing and then this YouTube guy is saying the exact opposite of what that guy said. I can't do both of those things. I don't know who is right. And so when I came back, one of the first things I did is I'm like, I know who I need to talk to. I have a buddy and he is a trainer and he uh, works out. I've never seen him train, but I've seen his life and I've seen how massive he is. And I'm like, you did something to do that, okay? So like, I've got some questions and I was over lunch, I asked him some questions and he set me straight. And here's what I realized, I know like exercise and working out, like I know I need to do it, but I also know like I, I shouldn't just like run amok and do whatever I think crops up into my brain. Like I need someone to speak into it. And there are a lot of voices out there about speaking into it. You can't follow all of them. Some of them, they all look like they know what they're saying, but I really even don't even know who they are. Like that guy with the YouTube channel, like, I don't know, maybe he's like never taken a class in his life. Maybe he doesn't work out. He just takes steroids. I don't know what he does, but there's all of these voices. And as I'm trying to figure out, like, I know I need to do this and I want to do it right. Cause if I don't, it could really, I could really hurt myself, but I got to find the right voices to speak into my life. Okay, here's why I bring that up. We're in this series, as you saw a few moments ago, called Me and My Big Mouth. And what we've been doing through the summer is we've been working through the book of James. Our last series, we worked through James 1 and James 2. The next part of James is all a series on our words. Just this whole section is all about our words. Uh, if you've been journeying with us through the summer, you know James doesn't pull any punches. He just says it like it is. And he does that in this section about our words. And so as he's talking about our words, it's interesting because where he starts is not what you might typically expect. As he's talking about the things we say, he first starts by talking about the words we hear that will then shape our hearts and shape the things we say. What I want to do is I want to do it a little bit different. I want to read you the whole text about this 12 verses about what James says about our words. And then I want to circle back to the beginning. And I want you to see what he says. Uh, we're going to just look at the first couple verses. But I want you just to hear this. Jump in with me, James chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1. James chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at, at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell." For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and, and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Powerful words. Strong words. He's talking about the power of the tongue the power of the things that we say. With our words, it can steer the course of our lives. We have so many other things in our lives, but just words can steer the course of a life, can steer the course uh, of a relationship, can start large fires, can start wars, but can also bring peace and reconcile. Words are powerful. They may be the most powerful parts of our bodies. It's our words about our person. And he says something interesting right at the end. He says, and these are the things we're going to go back through in greater detail in the coming weeks, but he says something at the very end. He says, can salt water and fresh water come up from the same source? And this is something he's going he's gonna to talk up. we're going to look at. What he's saying is, where our words come from, they are coming up out of our hearts. Our words reveal our hearts, reveal what's inside that's why our words are so important. So all of this teaching on words, but he starts in an interesting and maybe unexpected place. But it's really important, really important for us to start here and look at, look at why is he teaching this? Why is he starting all of us here on this note? Because he doesn't start with the words we say, he starts with the words we hear because certain words we take in shape the heart, which then shapes what we say, which steers the course of our life. I want to circle back to James 1, or excuse me, James 3, verse 1. Let's look at this again. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, he's warning about becoming a teacher. Many of you, uh, this past week, many in our church, this past week, you started back up school. You are a teacher, an administrator, a coach. We have many of you here at City Rev, whether Cooper City Campus or West Pines Campus. In fact, um, let me just see, show of hands, you are on a faculty, teacher, um, administrator, raise your hand, because we know there's many of you here in there. Wow, can we just give it up for you guys? Survived week one, love you guys. 
You are, we love you guys. We are praying for you guys. You are city changers. You are missionaries out into our city to one of the, uh, one of the most critical uh, age groups, our students, our, our kids, our young adults. Thank you for giving your life to be a teacher. This is warning about becoming a teacher. And some of you, after your first week, you're like, amen to that. Don't become a teacher, okay? My, this past week was crazy. Um, no, that's actually not what this is talking about. It's talking about a very specific context of teacher. It's not just meaning in an educational sense. It's a very specific context. And he gives a nod to that context when he says, um, my brothers. Now, this word brothers, it operates in the Greek similar to how it operates in other languages, but, but different than English. In the Greek, when he says the plural of brothers, it can mean both brothers and sisters, like in Spanish, hermanos, right? Um, in Spanish, if you're saying brother, there's a word for brother, there's a word for sister, but if you're saying brothers and sisters together, you use the word for brothers, but it's meaning by context, brothers and sisters. Almost every time or the majority of times you come across the word brothers in the New Testament, the Greek is operating the same way. It's referring, it's like the Greek word for siblings, my siblings, my brothers and sisters. So who are his brothers and sisters? He's writing to his fellow Christians. He's writing to the church. And I want to pause here for a second because this is going to be important for where this text takes us. A lot of times what we think of the church, especially as in modern times, is different than how the Bible defines church. The Bible defines a church, and the Bible is who defines the church because it's the Lord defining what the church is. The Bible doesn't define the church often the way we think of it. We typically in modern times think of church as one of two things. It's either a religious event that we attend once a week or maybe first thing in the morning or whatever it is. It's a religious event we go to. We go to church. There's that time slot, and we go to it. And maybe we go to it all the time. Maybe we go to it sometimes, maybe on holidays. But it is a, we think, when we think church, we think religious event. Others, when they think church, they think of um, a, a platform that delivers information. So when they think of church, they're like, look, I've got my podcast. I've got the, the uh, news station I watch. I've got YouTube. I've got the books that I read. I have their sermons that I hear. And they think of church to kind of reduce it down to just uh, an information platform. But those are not the ways that God defines the church. The church belongs to Jesus. Jesus defines the church differently. And there's many different ways that it's defined in Scripture but one of these, we get a nod to it here, the church is brothers and sisters. It's family. It's one of the most common ways a church is described. It's to be a community of brothers and sisters. It's, there's a, it's a very rich metaphor with God the Father and through the work of Jesus adopting us in to the family of God. Now we call God our Father. How did that work? It's not just, church is not just a, well, um, I, I'm not Buddhist and I'm not Muslim and I'm not atheist and my parents were Christian or they were Catholic, so yes, I guess I'm, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. It's when we take that step to say that Jesus Christ is my King. 
He is my God. He's my Savior. It's, it's that I was a sinner separated from God as an enemy. But Jesus Christ came to earth. He was sinless, unlike me. He gave himself up to die on a cross, and that was to pay the penalty as a sacrifice for sin. He dies, pays for all of my sin in my place. He dies on the cross. He's buried. And unbelievably, universe-alteringly rises again from the grave, actually defeating death itself, finally and fully paying for all of my sin, and then offers that as, as salvation and says, you can't save yourself. It's not about doing Christian-ish living. You can't save yourself. You need the work of Jesus. And he offers that as a step of faith where there's a point in our life where we say, I can't save myself. I need Jesus to save me. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Jesus, you died. You rose again. That is what saves me. So you are my savior. I make you my king. I make you my God. And I surrender to you, Jesus. That's what adoption looks like into his family then we become brothers and sisters. And so really what church is, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, not just a Christian heritage, you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then that means church is something you are. You are the church. It's not an event. It's not a building. It's not a platform. It's you. You are it. There's rich language in the scripture and a lot of it is surrounded by family. One of the family metaphors is brothers and sisters. There's another nuance to the metaphor. They, they word it differently, but again, another metaphor around family. The church is described as the bride of Jesus Christ. Collectively, the church around the world and throughout history is collectively like the bride of Christ to be finally united with Christ for all of eternity. Okay. He says, brothers and sisters, not many of you should be teachers. He's talking about teaching in the context of the church. So preaching like what I'm doing right now, preaching, teaching, whether it's in kids ministry or young adult ministry or men's and women's ministry or, or student ministry, teaching the Bible, that's the context he's describing. That is something that all from the very beginning, God, that's something that God wanted among his people. He wanted people teaching the Bible, imperfect people trying to teach a perfect scripture. Let me give you an example. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse eight, all the way back in the Old Testament, this is what it says. They read from the book, from the, book, from the law of God, that's the Bible. This is all of God's people gathering in Jerusalem. They read the Bible and then look what it says. They read from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Isn't that just exactly what we do here as a church? We read the Bible, and then we say, hey, this is what it means. We all are like, okay, that makes sense. And then we try and work it into our lives. Here's what he's saying. He starts, before he talks about our words, it's not what you'd expect. He, before he talks about the words we speak, he talks about the words we hear, and he warns he says, hey, not many of you should become teachers. 
In other words, um, there are some that are teachers. It's a warning to those of us who are teachers. It's a warning for those who are like, I'd love to do that one day. But maybe you're hearing this and you're saying, well, this will be an easy sermon because I have no interest in ever becoming a teacher. So check. I mean, I've never had like just such an easy Sunday ever, like done, okay? Won't become a teacher, noted. Thank you, James. And maybe that seems like that it's, it's an easy application. There's a reason that he's having us all hear this. And it comes down to the fact that he says, that those who teach will be judged more strictly. I want you to push into this with me. Look what he says next. I want to pull, pick this up, the warning up in verse 2 and 3 of James chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He says, look, um, words are really, really, really hard to control. In fact, you could probably control every other part of your life first before you can perfectly control what you say. It is so hard. No one can do it. Zero. No one can do it. Words are so hard to control. And he gives this example because he's going to talk about the power of our words. And he gives an example about a horse. Now, as I was studying this past week, I came across um, a story about a world record, uh, world record holding horse. It was the largest, tallest living horse. And uh, up until recently, it just recently died. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. How big was this horse? And it writes, it was over 20 hands high. Like, what in the, why do we need a separate measurement for horses? Okay, we've got feet, we've got meters. I don't know what that means. Can you put it in English? Okay, and so I, I actually looked up, I had to see what this horse looks like. Now, if you're like me, it's been a long, long time, or maybe never, that you've been up close to a horse, okay? And if you're also like me, you're good with that. Like, let's, we can keep it like that, all right? So let me just start here, like just get you some context of how big are horses. Um, we have a picture of just a guy with his horse, okay? Here's an average picture. Looks like a nice guy. He's standing there. He's got a sweater shirt on, okay? And he's with his horse. I think that's a racing horse. I think it ran in one of the derbies or something like that. But I mean, look at him. He's there next to his horse. You know, they're like eyeball to eyeball, right? He could come around, just like headbutt his horse if he wanted, okay? He could put his arm around the horse's neck, kind of rub its mane or whatever you do, okay, with the horse. Like, that's like just a guy standing next to your average horse. Let me show you a picture of the largest horse, Big Jake. Look at this picture. That's a monster. Big Jake is a horse up until recently, up in Wisconsin. Um, good people in Wisconsin. We have some City Rev folk from Wisconsin here. Yep, also from uh, in the Cooper City campus as well. We sent them to Cooper City and um, we've got some Wisconsin people. Good people in, in Wisconsin. Not surprising that they would have a farm with 
the largest horse up until recently, Big Jake. I just want you to look at the power of that horse. I mean, look at just the size of its neck. Just look at its muscles. I mean, that thing can pull thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. That is a really, really strong beast. And I want you to look what's around its face. It's got a harness and a bit in its mouth, tiny little bit that goes right in its mouth. And its owner can just take all of that power and steer all of that power just by the tiny piece in its mouth. James says, that's like how words work. All of the power of your life, all your education, all of your experience, all of your wisdom, all of your charisma, uh, all of your skill, all of your gifting, all of your money, all of your good looks, all of whatever it is that you have. Think of how quickly it can be steered your whole course of your life by just the words that come out of your mouth. Your mouth steers the whole course of your life. How quickly can a, an interview, a job interview, one sentence, maybe it's from the interviewer, you're like, wait, what? Or the interviewee says something and they walk out like, yeah, I should not have said that. How about a, how about a friendship? It can be going along, one phrase adds some friction, I can't reconcile it. How about a dating relationship? The dates are going well, they seem like the perfect person, they're, they're attractive and all this, and then all of a sudden they, some words get exchanged and it's over. Now, hopefully we build the maturity to be able to have the right words to work through conflict into mature, healthy, reconciled, growing relationships. But think of just the power of the words that are spoken. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know the powers of the words, power of words. So because you're going to be judged by your words, think twice before you become a teacher of the Bible because you're going to be teaching God's word. Okay, now two questions. First, he says that teachers will be judged more strictly. Number one, how will teachers be judged? And number two, why is this not a, just a passage for preachers? Like, why is this relevant for all of us? Like, why did James include this for every one of us? Okay, let's talk about number one. First of all, why, um, might, uh, why are teachers judged with greater strictness? Um, as we said before, God, has this has been his plan. He has imperfect people communicating his perfect word. It's his word. And so I want you to uh, imagine someone teaching in a way that misrepresents God's word and steering someone astray. Let me just tell you a story. If you've been around City Rev, maybe you've heard this story before. It's a parable. I want you to imagine a king and his, his bride, his wife in a kingdom, much beloved king. And he's leaving on a trip and he says, I don't know when I'm going to be back, but I will return. And he pulls his servant aside, a eunuch. And he says to this eunuch, every week I am going to send a letter back to my queen, to my bride. But she needs you to read it to her. 
And the eunuch's like, I don't know if I want to do that. That, first of all, I don't want to speak your words. That sounds like too intimate. I don't want to, you know, get between you and your wife. And he says, no, this is, I've, I need you to do this. The king leaves and sure enough, a letter comes and he's just sweating. He's like, this is awkward. And he goes and he goes to where the queen's chambers are and knocks on it. And some of her uh, ladies let, come bring him in. He says, hey, queen, uh, you know, I've got this letter from the king. And he begins to read it. And as he's reading it, he hears these beautiful, brilliant, eloquent words. And his first thought is, how am I possibly going to represent these words? Like, why am I doing this? Who am I to represent these words to the queen? Let alone the words in there were intimate, talking about the love of the king for his bride. And he's reading these words. and He feels very uncomfortable. He's just glad when it's over. And he rolls up the scroll. And the queen just nods. And he walks out and he leaves. And he just hopes the king doesn't send any more letters. The next week, another letter comes. He walks in and he goes after it and similar to before, he leaves that time like, boy, I'm just glad it's over. I wish I didn't have to do this. And then another letter comes and another letter comes, another letter comes and finally he says, okay, I'm just gonna do my very best for the king. So he takes this letter and he comes and he reads this letter to the queen and this time he throws himself into it and he, he's, you know, he's no actor, you know, he doesn't have any training, but he's just trying to put himself into it and, and when he finishes, he sees the impact that that has on the queen. She thanks him and he leaves. Another letter comes and another letter comes and every passing week, he's throwing himself more and more into it and he's starting to enjoy it and, he's, and when the king has is, is got some humor in the letter, he's, he's kind of says it funny and when he's got some sadness and he misses the queen, he, he draws that out and he sees as he's pouring himself into it, he sees the queen is responding more and more. She's laughing with him, she's crying with him and more and more he sees how the queen is responding to the, to the letter from a king to his bride. And as he goes in, very, very slowly, as the weeks go by and the letters go by, something slowly is changing in the eunuch. As he's embodying the words, he does not realize what's changing is the king's words are becoming his words. And the queen's reaction is no longer to the king, but to the eunuch. And it crescendos one day when he goes in and he unrolls the scroll and he throws himself into it and he's enjoying it. She's laughing and she's crying and, and she's responding to all of his words. And at the end, she stands up and she claps and she says, oh, eunuch, how I love how you read your letters. I will miss, I will miss this time we have together when the king returns. And when the words leave her mouth, he sees her freeze and her eyes go wide as she's looking over his shoulder. And he turns around, and there, having walked through the door, stands the king. And he pulls the eunuch aside. And I want you to imagine what words the king might have for the eunuch. Taking his words for his bride and using it to attract her affection for himself. The eunuch is to castrate himself of all glory and all attention and not get between a man and his wife. Why would a teacher be judged more strictly? Because we are the bride of Christ. And what we do is we come here and we're reminded of our king and the love, for our, and that love our king has for us and that he's returning. That's the role of the teacher. Here's what Paul said 
to Timothy. This is preacher training right here. This isn't a part of the Bible of a preacher getting trained. And here's what he says. Let me read it to you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to, what's the word? Judge, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Then he says, preach the word. He says, I'm telling you this because God's going to judge you. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure. Listen to this. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What is the role of a, of a preacher? How will a preacher be judged? Very simply, preach the word, not preach your ideas, not preach Uh, a nifty nugget that you have, not preach an illustration that you like, preach the word of God to, to, to go invisible that they might see their king and hear their king preaching to them, hear their king's love letter to them, that they may hear and know the majesty of God. The role of the preacher is to teach the word, the word of God that is perfect. So how and why might God judge more strictly? because they're teaching the word of God. Why does James tell us this? Why is this not just one of those that we'd skip over and talk about just for those who are being trained to be preachers and teachers throughout the ministry? Why is this for all of us? Because, listen church, we want to align our judgments about teaching to the way God judges teaching. We want to know what God wants from those who teach us so that we know how to judge those who teach us. Here's before what James is doing. Before he tells us about the words that come out of our mouth because it's just the overflow of our heart, he starts with the words that we're receiving that are shaping our hearts that will then determine the words that come out of our mouths that will then steer our lives. So what's the application? Well, for those who teach, or for those who are interested in one day teaching, or maybe you have been a Bible teacher in a small group or Sunday school class or student ministry or young adults or whatever, if you have a gifting or desire to teach the Bible, or you hope to one day, what is the application? Fear and trembling. Now, what's the application for all of us? And I mean all of us. It's not, um, it's me too. Because I enjoy one of my, some of my favorite Sundays is when Pastor Justin's preaching or one of the, our other guys is preaching and I get to sit with a cup of coffee next to Rebecca and take notes and listen to really good preaching and hear God impact my life. In fact, since I've been back from sabbatical, I've been going back through all the sermons that I missed that happened at our church, the word God had for our church. I'm a part of our church. I wanted to hear those words and almost every single one of them, I'm like, man, I needed to hear that. It was a moment for me because God had a word for our church and I'm a part of it. So what is then the application for all of us? 
Let's start here. Church, how do you receive the teaching of the word in your life? It's something from the very beginning God has always had for his people. Imperfect people teaching the perfect word of God. How do you receive that? Is it something that's a priority in your life? Is it something that you come open to saying, God, impact me? Is it something that's a priority for your students to hear preaching from, from their pastors and the young adults or from our kids? Is it something we value? Is it something that's important to us? How do we receive it? Here's the second one. I want to spend more on this. How do we judge preaching and teaching of the Bible and other preachers? How do we judge it? Do we judge it the way God judges it? God's way he judges it is pretty clear. Is it the word or not the word? But how do we judge it? Sometimes we judge it by our preferences. Is it traditional or is it modern? Is it stuffy or is it showy? Is it boring or is it interesting? Or sometimes we judge it by a different framework other than this one. The framework God gives, is it biblical or is it not? Does it, do the, he says, do the work of, the ev of an evangelist. Is what he said to Timothy. When you open the Bible, what's in the Bible? The story of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So is it biblical or not? Not, does it align with my political ideals? Not, is it too conservative? Is it too liberal? There's a higher category. Is it biblical? Because the Bible does not subordinate to any political agenda. It critiques and corrects all of them. How do we, how do we judge preaching and teaching? Do we, do we have itching ears? Our ears, there's just, a, there's just things that we want to hear. There's, I'm just waiting because I, I want this affirmed. I, I want to know that I can continue doing this and that I'm okay. Or do we have a heart that says, I, I, want, I know that I'm going to be encouraged. I know that I'm going to be uh, affirmed that God loves me. But I also want, in addition to the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings encouragement, I also want to be corrected and rebuked and trained in righteousness, as it says in 2 Timothy. Do I, or do I just have itching ears? I just want to hear the things that I want to hear. Because what 2 Timothy says is that day is coming. Well, that day is now. And there are those that just want to be affirmed in what they already believe and already do. And so they follow those that say those things. And in so doing, they wander off into silly things, silly myths, silly ideas. So how do we, how do we receive teaching? How do we judge teaching? And here's, uh, here's the last one. Where do we receive it? Um... I bring this up because I mentioned this several months ago, but I, I think this is a good thing for us to keep in front of our, of our minds. Our generation has a unique question that we have to ask ourselves because we have access to things that previous Christian generations have not had. We have to ask ourselves this question. Who is going to disciple us? Our church? Imperfect people? But God's plan for 
how we're discipled, discipling each other? Who's going to disciple you? My church or YouTube? My church or that podcaster? That platform? That outlet? And I'm going to just shoot straight with you. The, especially some of those outlets like YouTube. There's nothing wrong with YouTube. But those outlets like YouTube, they are designed around itching ears. It finds what you want to hear and just keeps feeding it to you over and over and over and over, leading you down that rabbit hole, leading you down that path until you've wandered off into silliness away from the truth. Every Christian is going to have to make the decision, who, where am I being discipled? What's the outlet? Is it a podcaster, motivational speaker, someone who's shaping my heart that I don't know, can't see, can't judge, don't know what's behind that, what's behind that motivation, don't know who they are? Or is it in the context of a community of brothers and sisters as we're journeying together as imperfect people pursuing the perfect truth? Why is this so critical? Why is it so critical to start with the word that we hear before we talk about the word that we say? Because of what's in the word of God and what that can do to your, your heart, changing you from the inside out, creating a wellspring of life from the inside out. Can I close by reminding you what this says. Can I close by showing it to you? Can I, let me just read it to you. It says this, this whole book, it comes down to about one person. It's your king. Your king who's going to return. This is what it says. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is who your king is, church. That is who the great bridegroom is. That is who's coming back. That Jesus who sacrificed himself, who's the king of kings, is the one that loves you more than you could possibly imagine. It's the centerpiece of this word. He's the centerpiece of the universe. He's the centerpiece of our lives. And as we hear this and teach this to each other over and over and over again, as we learn about who Jesus is and recenter ourselves on Jesus, it changes us. Why? This is who Jesus is. This is who your Jesus is. He is delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body 
body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the king's love letter to you. That is who he is. Do you believe that, church? You believe that's who your Jesus is? That's who your king is. Who's your king? In the last days he spoke to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purifications for sin he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as his name is inherited is more excellent than theirs. Who is this Jesus? This is how his servant and described him. He said, I saw heaven opened up and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Who is this Jesus? This is what it says about your Jesus, your king, your Messiah, your bridegroom, your savior, your Lord. It says this, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is that good news, church? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all all things new. And here's what it says at the end. You get to the other end and this is what it says. You hear the very words of your Jesus ringing out through the rest of history saying this, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. That is your Jesus. That is who your Jesus is. Let's go to our Jesus in prayer. Would you bow your heads? All we want from you, Jesus, is your truth, your word in our lives. We just want your truth, your word. May it transform us, Jesus, as we know you more. hey, some of you are here and maybe the step that you need to take today is you say, look, I've had been Christian by heritage, Christian by default, Christian by activity, but I'm ready to make Jesus my king and my savior and my Lord. I'm taking that step of faith today. I wanna to encourage you to take that step. 
take that step and let us know. We want to put a Bible in your hands, the Word of God in your hands today. If that's you, just pray this prayer today, just silently in your seat. Say, God, I surrender to you. You are my Savior and my Lord. I receive salvation through your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want you to do. If that was your step just then, today I want you to go to cityrev.org faith. And I want you to fill out that information. Just do it right now. Grab your phone, do it right now. Because we're going to mail you a Bible. If you're here in person and you want a Bible today, you can grab that Get Connected card. You can take it by guest services. Fill that out and say, hey, I'd love to have a Bible. I put, took a step to put my faith in Jesus. We would love to put a Bible in your hands today. Church, we are going to close singing a song back to him. It's a song about putting aside everything else, allowing him to refine our hearts and pr pursuing after the things that are according to his heart as he's making us more like him. Would you stand with me as we close?